God's Word, taken from several different New Testament passages, verses from Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with, with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.19, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. 1 Corinthians 3.5, What then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.14 All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, uh, we are looking at several different texts from your word this morning, uh, and I pray that as we do this, you would impress upon our hearts uh, the mission you have called us to, the impossibility of that mission, uh, and our need to seek you in the midst of it. Uh, Father, help us to see our need for prayer, but Father, uh, give us your spirit to prompt us to pray, for certainly uh, we, we are weak uh, and distracted uh, and have trouble with this. So, Father, we pray that you would stir us up, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been asked uh, to do something that you had absolutely no ability to do? All right, you've been in that situation before. Maybe you had to, to give a presentation, and the thought of standing in front of everybody terrified you. Um, maybe you had to, your coach asked you to play a position in baseball that you've never played before. Maybe you were three years old and you had to drive your dad to the hospital. You know, just very traumatic experience. So, something along those lines. Um, several years ago when I just graduated from seminary, uh, I had taken a job as an intern in a church in Greenville. And Susan and I had moved to Greenville. Uh, and we were waiting for this job to start. And I don't remember the reason why, but for some reason it didn't start until two weeks after we had already moved there. And we needed income right when we moved there, not two weeks later. Uh, and so fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, 
uh, the church where I was about to be employed was in the middle of a building project. And the construction crew needed help. And so they hired me on to be a part of this. So I was a construction worker for, quit laughing, John Paul. I was a construction worker uh, for, for two weeks, two whole weeks of my life. Um, and some of the things I could handle, but some of them not so much. Uh, and, and one day, one of the not so much things that happened was that we were on the top of this roof that was very steep. I think it was like 179 degrees. I mean, it was an incredibly steep roof. And if you can imagine a roof line coming along, and then, and I know none of these technical terms, there's this large concrete wall that came up right next to the roof line, probably extended about a foot over it, and then went at the slant, at a slant is the same angle as the roof line, and there was a piece of metal running along the top of this concrete wall, and they were going to join the rest of the building to this, and we had to pry this piece of metal loose from the concrete wall. So you can imagine in order to do this, in order to get a crowbar behind it, you've got to stand like this, and then you've got to pull away from the roof while you're leaning at 179 degrees downhill. And so the guy I was working with that day, he started working on it, he couldn't do it, do it and he looked at me, he's like, come, come help me. And I said, no. <laughs> no. He said, what, are you scared? I said, yeah, and I'm done in a week, and I'm not killing myself and getting this thing. Y'all can fire me. I really don't care. Um, I'm, I'm not doing this. All right. I think that's what we do in a lot of situations when we can get away with it. Uh, those situations in which we say, I can't do this. This is too hard. I'm scared. This doesn't fit who I am. It's not comfortable. And we, we get put in these situations and we say, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. So we don't do it. We're in this study of the mission of the church. And we talked last week about what the Great Commission is. Uh, Jesus telling us, go and make disciples. Right? Go into the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do everything that I've commanded you. And we hear that command and we say to ourselves, that's too hard. That doesn't fit my personality. That, that makes me uncomfortable. I've, I've tried sharing my faith in the past, and it, it, just, it just doesn't work, and so I'm not going to do it. Now, I doubt very few of us would actually vocalize that to God. Oh, it's nice, but I'm, I'm, God, I'm just not going to do that. But that's the way we often think about it, isn't it? Uh, even though Jesus has told us that we go in his authority, that he will be with us as we go, uh, that we go with the very power of the Holy Spirit, we still resist it. Right, we're like the disciples we saw last week who worship, but at the same time we doubt. And so we hesitate as we're given this, this great commission. It's overwhelming to us. And like we said last week, if you think it's overwhelming to you, again, think to the disciples gathered there. Jesus has just died. He's risen from the dead. He says he's about to leave. Uh, he says, oh, by the way, go, you guys, you 11, go and take this message to the world. Uh, see you later. Okay? Okay. Let's, great. Let's get started. So what did they do? What did they do when they were faced with this mission that they have been given by Jesus? Well, um, they didn't just kind of jack themselves up to go. They didn't call in a football coach to give them a halftime speech. It's like, all right, all right, all right, we can do this, we can do this. They didn't get a motivational speaker to come in. Uh, Jesus, in the text we'd read 
just read in Acts 1, actually promised in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they were to wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But you notice as they wait, they didn't just sit there and like, well, I guess the Holy Spirit's going to come eventually, and so we're just going to kind of hang out here and see what happens. The text says they didn't just try to fire themselves up to go, and they didn't just sit on their hands and wait either, but they prayed. They prayed. Acts 1.14, And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. That's what they decided they needed to do. Why? Why did, why did they do that? Why do they need to pray? Why do, why do we need to pray? Why all these texts this morning uh, encouraging us to pray? Why is prayer so necessary if the church is actually to carry out the Great Commission. I want to I want to read a quote to you from John Piper uh, to start getting at that question. Here's what he writes: Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie. Does everybody know what a walkie-talkie is? Still? Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Good. They haven't left completely. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus, prayer safeguards the supremacy of God in missions while linking us with endless grace for our every need. All right, we're going we're gonna to come back to some of that in a minute, but, but get this point to begin with. There's a spiritual battle taking place as we attempt to take the gospel to the nations. Even as we take, attempt to take the gospel to Spartanburg, to our next-door neighbor, to our family members. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're called to be a part of that battle. You don't get the option of sitting on the sidelines. You're called to be a part of that battle uh, that is involved in fulfilling the Great Commission. So what I want us to do this morning is, is look at the reasons why that we're called to pray uh, if we are going to see the Great Commission actually go forward. Why do we need to pray? Okay, uh, Five reasons here. All right, Number one, why do we have to pray if the Great Commission is going to advance? Uh, one of the reasons we have to pray is that there are barriers to the Great Commission in me and in you. Right? We're, we're part of the problem. <laughs> we're part of the thing that needs to be prayed about. Uh, and let me just start with this one, because one of the big ones, one of the big barriers that we carry around inside of us is guilt. And you're, you're probably already feeling it's because I'm, I'm preaching this sermon. Because we hear these sermons on evangelism, uh, we hear great stories about people who are always successful sharing their faith, and then yet we either we, we, we don't share our faith, or we seldom share our faith, or we try, and it just, it never seems to work out for us, and now here Justin is talking about uh, missions and evangelism again, and I, maybe I'll just skip this series. Um, let me try to alleviate a little bit of your guilt to start with. I'll tell you a story. Uh, there was a there was a man one time. He came to his pastor, and he was just racked with guilt over the issue of sharing his faith. 
and he couldn't figure out how to do it, he didn't know what to say, he got scared, all, all of these things. And so the pastor met with him over a period of time, and the guy just, he wasn't getting anywhere, and he just continued to feel guilty about the whole thing. And finally the pastor said to him, you know, you do know that Jesus won't love you any less if you never share your faith with anyone again, don't you? And you do know that Jesus won't love you any more if you share your faith with every person you meet for the rest of your life. Neither of those is going to change Christ's love for you, God's acceptance of you in the gospel. And see, what happened in the midst of that, and and I think the thing that's got to happen before anything else that we talk about is that the gospel has got to become real to you. And it's got to become real to you in a way that applies to your sharing your faith. So that you're not sharing your faith because I'm supposed to do it or because he tells me to and I haven't done it and I feel guilty. You've got to be motivated by the very love of God in Christ. You've got to see that your sharing of your faith is not, as as John Paul talked about prayer, your sharing of your faith is not earning you brownie points with God. And so if if you're kind of stuck there, if you're kind of stuck in this Oh, I just I feel guilty about this. Then where I would start is start with meditating on the love of God for you in Christ, in the gospel. And pray right there. That's where your praying can start. Say, Father, pray that I would really sense how much you love me. How much I am accepted in Christ. And Father, would you cause that love to become so real to me that that's what pushes me out in the mission not some sense of guilt or obligation. And so we have to to pray, first of all, against this barrier uh, of guilt. Uh, Another barrier within us is fear that we have to overcome. Uh, We fear messing up when we're trying to to talk to somebody. Or maybe even before we get there, we fear awkward and uncomfortable conversations. We fear people. Uh, We fear rocking the boat. We fear that people are going to think we're one of those crazy conservative people. We fear persecution. And so we have to pray, as we read the Apostle Paul prays uh, in Ephesians, pray that I may declare the gospel fearlessly, as I should. And in Colossians, pray that I may make it clear when I present the gospel, which is how I ought to speak. And Notice, by the way, where Paul is when he asked them to pray for him. He's in jail. He's in jail. He was suffering for his faith. And, you all I think one of the things that we have to kind of wrap our arms around in the midst of this um, is that while speaking the gospel to your neighbor may not send you to jail, it might one day, uh, but it doesn't now, um, even if it doesn't, you're sharing of your faith is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to at least bring some sort of discomfort into your life. Very often. Uh, We really should expect that, to be honest. Because Jesus didn't save you, and he didn't save me so that we can be comfortable. Uh, He says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. And following Jesus always involves our death to ourselves. 
and, and honestly, I think our worship of the American gods of personal peace and affluence, uh, of comfort and security, are some of the biggest barriers within us to carrying out the Great Commission. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We fear suffering in whatever form it takes. And so we have to pray like Paul prays. Lord, give me courage. Lord, give me a willingness to be uncomfortable. And we have to confess that I don't want to be uncomfortable. Lord, forgive me for worshiping my lifestyle and not the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, give me a willingness to sacrifice and even to suffer if it helps the cause of the gospel to advance. Lord, forgive me for being so timid and make me bold. Forgive me for not loving the people outside of my doors and, and help me to go out and talk to them. Lord, give me clarity. Because you've heard me talk. Um, you know how I get tongue-tied. Lord, would you give me clarity? Give me courage. Give me words. Help me to do what you've called me to do. So we have to pray. We wrestle with guilt. We have to pray. We wrestle with fear. We have to pray. Uh, we wrestle with, even with what evangelism is supposed to look like. You know, especially if you've kind of grown up in the church and maybe you've been through some sort of evangelistic training and you've got these questions you're supposed to get to, right? you gotta, you got to pop the question at some point and i got to get these, this person to answer right. And so we struggle with our methods. Let me encourage you, if, if that's you, to just kind of just kind of forget all that maybe. Just put it on the back burner at least. And just pray that God would help you to figure out how to love and serve your neighbor. And just start there. No pressure to try to get to, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to do this. Just love your neighbor. Pray that God would help you to love your neighbor and serve your neighbors, and that He would open doors there. And just start there. Don't worry about all the rest of it to start with. So there are barriers in us, right? Guilt, fear, what's this really going to look like if I get involved with it? Uh, and then a, a fourth barrier, I think, in us is, is overcommitment. Overcommitment. And I know, I'm sorry, I'm bringing the guilt back when I, when I bring this one up. And, and I really don't want to say much about this because I think this is kind of a, a very, it's a very personal thing in this. It's very person variable because we've got different jobs. We've got different personalities. We're in different stages of life. And so it's hard to make kind of a, it's hard for me to kind of make a one-size-fits-all application for this. But if, but if you're chronically busy and there are no margins in your life for rest, uh, no margins in your life for knowing a neighbor, then I really think we, we ought to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself, what is it that I'm really trying to accomplish in my life? What is it that I'm really trying to accomplish in the life of my children with all of the stuff that we have going on? And how does it fit in to, remember the catechism question, man's chief end, Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do all these activities fit into that? How do all these activities fit into carrying out the Great Commission? Maybe they can be vehicles to help me do these things, right? Maybe they can. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe they're completely legitimate. 
Maybe they're standing in the way of me carrying out the Great Commission. And I'm not thinking missionally at all as I do then. Uh, it may even be that you have too many church activities. All right? Now, that, that's one of the things that we try to guard against here at Grace. Uh, but it may be that there's a Saturday night when we have a youth event scheduled and your kids don't go because that's the only night you can figure out when to have your neighbors over. And John Paul would actually rather you not have your kids show up that night and have them involved with you as you try to figure out how to love your neighbors. It may be that there's a men's morning Bible study that you're like, I can't be here today because I'm taking my coworker to breakfast. And I would rather you do that than to feel like you had to be at every Bible study that we have. And so this is really, it really is kind of one of those examine yourself sort of questions and not examine the people around you. But you have to ask yourself, is, is living missionally really a priority in my life? And what does it really look like in my life? And at least ask yourself, why do I have this list of 40 things that I feel like have to happen in my life before I ever get to asking this question? How do I live missionally? How do I carry out the Great Commission? Why isn't that kind of worked into all of the things in your life? Okay, Ask that question of yourself. What, what are we really trying to do here? Where am I really trying to head with my life? And so we have to pray. All right, That's, that's self-examination and prayer. That's not something we can just say, well, uh, Ephesians 2 says uh, 45 minutes. No, you, you have to work through that and pray through that. It takes wisdom. So there are barriers, right? There are barriers within us. Guilt, fear, what's it going to look like? I got so much going on already. But then I got more barriers for you, okay? It's better. Uh, not only there are barriers in here, but there are barriers out there, right? We got to get, all right, all right, I can, I, gotta, I can overcome all these with the help of, of the Holy Spirit, but there are barriers out there. One of the barriers out there, honestly, that exists is that we live in a culture in which everybody feels like they can design their own God, right? And, and as you start having conversations with people, you'll see this. You say, well, I think God is like this. And someone else says, well, I think God is like this. No, I think God is like this. And that's just how you choose to think about God. And now, y'all, that, that's a completely absurd way of thinking. But it's how many people think. All right, here's what, what's absurd about it. Let me see if I can illustrate to you. Yeah, this to you. If I'm talking to a couple people and the first person says, I think Keith Groover is 80 feet tall. That was Annie. Uh, I think Keith Groover is 80 feet tall. And the next person says, now I think, I prefer to think of Keith Groover as being two feet tall. All right, they're both entitled to that opinion, but they both can't be right. All right he's, he, he's one or the other, or maybe he's something else entirely, okay? Maybe they're both wrong. But you don't just get to choose how tall you think he is. We don't just get to choose what we think God is like. That doesn't therefore make it right, because I choose to think of him in a certain way. But it is the way a lot of people think, and so that's a barrier as we try to have conversations about the gospel. Uh, a second barrier that's out there is really caused by us, and that's unethical behavior on the part of Christians and on the part of pastors. They're always doing stuff that they tell everybody else not to do. And so that's a barrier. Third barrier, um, honestly, 
people just aren't familiar with the basic story of the Bible anymore. Um, there used to be a lot of Christian capital in the culture, and so the story wasn't that foreign to people. Now it's becoming more and more, what? What is this about? And that's one reason I think things like the Jesus Storybook Bible are actually uh, very helpful in just helping the people to get, okay, what is this thing even all about? That's a barrier that's out there. Uh, a fourth barrier that's out there is, is I think, is the culture war. Uh, all of this red state, blue state, Fox News versus MSNBC. Uh, let me ask you, if, if we were to go to one of your unbelieving neighbors and ask them what's, what's, what their perception of you is, okay? I, I go and pick one of your unbelieving neighbors, and I ask them, hey, what's your perception of? What's your perception of John Wright? What's your perception of Keith Gruber? Would they see, how would they see you? Right, if they know you, how would they see you? Would they see you uh, as an angry, self-righteous person who's only, uh, who, whose only goal in life is to, to limit their freedoms? Someone who's trying to use political power to kind of push them to the margins of society, would that be how they think of you? Or would they see you as someone who might disagree with their lifestyle, but who also demonstrates a, a radical willingness to serve them and to love them sacrificially? How, how did they think of Christians? How would they think of you? And so I, and I, ask, you, I ask you, ask yourself honestly, are you more interested in, are, are we as a church more interested in winning the culture war? Are we more interested in loving and serving our neighbors sacrificially? Which one do you really get more excited about? Which one are you more passionate about? Uh, a, a fifth barrier that's out there, but it's again related to us, uh, is that we've separated ourselves from unbelievers. We've kind of often move into the Christian ghetto where we're just surrounded by Christian activities all the time. That's a barrier. So what do we do? What do we do with all these barriers? Again, the Bible drives us to pray. Paul says, pray that God may open a door to us for the word. Pray that God would open a door. That God would cut through all these barriers. Uh, have you ever been locked out of your house before and you're just kind of sitting there waiting for somebody to come and to bring the key and to unlock the door so that you can get in? This is what we're praying. Praying that God would unlock that door, that God would tear down these barriers to the gospel. Uh, let me ask all y'all, are you willing to pray for one another that type of prayer on a regular basis? Pray that God would open a door for the word for David Fisk. Pray that God would open a door for the word for Kathy Harrison. Pray that God would open a door for the word for Karen Patanella. Would you pray that for one another? Or would you open doors? Would you give us wisdom in the way we act toward outsiders? Would you show us how to love people we disagree with and can't figure out how to have a conversation with? Would you help us to clearly communicate the message, the storyline of the Bible? Would you help us to live the way Christians are supposed to live? God, would you tear down these barriers? Would you open doors for your word 
in the world. So we pray because there are barriers in here. We pray because there are barriers out there. And we pray because Satan gets into this too. Satan throws up barriers to the word. Ephesians 6.12 again. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is not just a logistical battle uh, in, in carrying out the Great Commission. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That influences how we ought to be praying. That we really ought to pray that Satan would be defeated, that his influence would be defeated in our lives and in the lives of the people around us as well. Douglas Kelly references uh, Matthew 12, 29. You can read it later, but he says in his instruction on prayer, pray for a fresh binding of the strong man. And that's a reference to Satan. Pray for our fresh binding of the strong man that his goods may be spoiled, that precious souls may be brought out from under his sway into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Uh, and I can't get into it now, but uh, go and read Daniel 10, maybe this afternoon. In, in Daniel 10, there's an evil demonic being who hinders the answer to Daniel's prayer for three weeks, but he ultimately can't stop the prayer from being answered. And Douglas Kelly, again, in his book, If God Already Knows Why I Pray, asks the question, why? Why wasn't he able to, to continue to hinder this prayer? He says, it was Daniel's unembarrassed persistence that won through and added a factor in the unseen spiritual struggle. In an extraordinary way, the prayers of a man determined the victory in a spiritual conflict. If Daniel had given up after two weeks, the blessings would not have come. You know, imagine if during World War II the, the United States had never decided to enter the war. How would that war have gone? Or imagine if we had decided to enter it and the people back home had never realized how important their sacrificial contributions to the war effort actually were. I think one of the biggest barriers to the Great Commission and to our praying is not just Satan. It's not just Satan, but it's that we're so comfortable that we don't really realize that we're in a that we are in a war against Satan. It's not just that he's there and resisting us. It's that we're so comfortable we don't even realize we're in a battle. And and I actually think that's him. I think Satan actually uses our creature comforts to anesthetize us to the fact that we're really in a battle. He doesn't want you to think you're in a battle because you're not going to put up a fight at that point. And so we don't know we're in a battle and we don't wrestle in prayer. Um, we read that, you know, we, we read Ephesians, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, I'm wrestling, but I mean, the Celtics are on tonight. And at least for me, and, and are my prayers really going to make that much difference anyway? God's going to do what God's going to do. We have to pray because the battle is real and the enemy is real. So we pray. We pray um, because of the barriers within us. We pray because of the barriers out there. We pray because Satan resists 
the spread of the gospel. And then a fourth reason here we have to pray is that conversion really is God's work. Right? You can't argue people into the kingdom of heaven. You can't argue the people you're talking with into believing the gospel because you can't give life to dead men. But God can. And so, pray. You can plant. You can water. But what does the text tell us? God gives the growth. God gives the growth. So pray that God would give the growth. Pray that God would hear our prayers from heaven and have mercy. That he would pour out his grace. That he would pour out his Holy Spirit in abundance. That God would awaken us and the very people we are trying to communicate with to the message of the gospel. And then the final reason we're to pray here is so that God will receive the glory in all this and not us. Uh, John Piper again writes, How is God glorified by prayer? Prayer is the open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as all-sufficient. This is why the missionary enterprise advances through prayer. The chief end of God is the glorified God. He will do this in the sovereign triumph of his missionary purpose that the nations worship him. He will secure this triumph by entering into the warfare and becoming the main combatant. And he will make that engagement plain to all the participants through prayer because prayer shows that the power is from the Lord. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as sufficient. If we're going to carry out the Great Commission, we've got to pray because there are barriers inside of us. We've got to pray because there are barriers out there in the world. We have to pray because Satan is going to battle against us. We have to pray because ultimately conversion is the work of God and he will glorify himself in it. So pray that the Lord of the harvest would glorify himself by using his mighty power to awaken dead people through the words of broken and needy people like you and me. Charles Spurgeon uh, once wrote, God will bless Elijah and send rain on Israel, but Elijah must pray for it. If the chosen nation is to prosper, Samuel must plead for it. If the Jews are to be delivered, Daniel must intercede. God will bless Paul and the nations shall be converted through him. But Paul must pray. Pray he did without ceasing. His epistles show that he expected nothing except by asking for it. I want to close with this story of something that took place on the, the outer isles, the Isle of Lewis off the northwest coast of Scotland in the 1940s and early 1950s. It's said that, that in this remote area there were two elderly ladies. One of them was, was bent over from arthritis who became burdened about the worldliness and spiritual deadness of the youth on their island. So for three or four years, three times a day, these humble Christians in their little white stone cottage overlooking the stormy North Atlantic urgently besought God to send down His Holy Spirit 
with convicting and converting power on their community. According to the writings of the late Reverend Duncan Campbell, who was greatly used in the revival, the Holy Spirit suddenly came down one Saturday night on a large group of formerly worldly-minded young people assembled in a dance hall behind a pub. Many of them were broken down and regenerated by the power of God on the spot. The movement spread throughout many parts of the island and savingly touched large numbers of people over the next few years. Once again, someone, in this case two elderly ladies, had stood in the gap and had brought down the mercy of God upon an entire community with results that last to this day. You pray. You come together and pray and ask our Father for the resources to carry out the mission that he's given to us. Let's pray. Father, sometimes I hate talking about prayer uh, because I know how much a hypocrite I am. Uh, Lord God, would you um, would you help us not to just talk about prayer or feel guilty about not praying, but Father, would you indeed pour out your Spirit upon us? Would you stir us up? Would you awaken us to the need? Would you awaken us to the fact that you uh, will fulfill this great commission, that you will convert the nations, but you will do it as we pray? Father, we are needy. Father, you are the one that is to be glorified in us, in this, not us. And so, Father, we ask you to move and to work through us and even in spite of us, but that you would work and that you would give your spirit, that you would pour it out in abundance, that our eyes might be opened to your glory, that our eyes might be opened to your goodness, that we might seek you in prayer, and that, Father, you might uh, convert many around us even to your own glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.